Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Rikindi. For those of you who don't know, Rikindi is not just a podcast, but offers a range of eco-friendly yoga, Pilates, and meditation items designed in helping you to live a healthier, happier life. So today's podcast is on Stoicism. Stoicism has been a common thread through some of history's great leaders. It has been practiced by kings, presidents, artists, writers, and entrepreneurs through the ages. Marcus Aurelius, Frederick the Great, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, just to name a few, were all influenced by the Stoic philosophy. So what is Stoicism? Who were the Stoics? And how can you be a Stoic? Today we're joined by Simon Drew to help us answer some of these questions. Simon is an alignment coach, musician, writer, and podcaster. He's most famous for his podcast, The Practical Stoic, where he has been exploring the ideas of stoicism for numerous years and has helped thousands of people around the world to transform themselves using this ancient principle. So with all of that, Simon, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Alexa, thank you for having me here. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. And thank you for what you're doing. It's, it's, it's always it's always beautiful to see young people going out there and getting involved in this kind of podcasting game where we get to just talk to people who we think were cool, you know, are cool or interesting, or, you know, not that I'm claiming to be all of those things, but it's, it's like, it's such, I mean, podcasting did so much for me as an individual. Uh, and I'm excited to see that you're jumping into that adventure now as well. Cause it's, you know, human conversation. It's so valuable and uh, and so beautiful. So I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. No, definitely. I've, um, I've spoken to some pretty amazing people and um, it's just, it's like you're saying, it's such a cool platform for like any topic that you're interested in, anything, you can find somebody to discuss it with you. And it really gives you some great insight to know, okay, well, great. Should I go further into this topic? And if you do, and you come up with any sort of questions that arise, these get answered. And I actually, I was thinking like through evolution, one of humans greatest advantages is our ability to share information like if you look across the animal kingdom how many other animals or creatures actually share in like if you think about birds does every bird all over the world share information <laughs> probably not but humans you know we, we all do and it's it's just been such an amazing thing so um definitely enjoying the journey it is an amazing thing and a beautiful thing and we are now just kind of coming into this wild age where information travels so much faster than it ever has, which obviously has its benefits and it has its downfalls. But this is one of the ways that we take advantage of that, obviously, is having more conversations like these with people on the other side of the world. Although I have to say, uh, I wish you had have contacted me uh, seven months ago when I was still living about an hour away from you. Now I'm over here in California you know, uh, but uh, maybe we could have met up then, but uh, but this is still just beautiful. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Simon, I just wanted to start off by um, asking, you know, if you wanted to tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what got you interested in stoicism? What was your journey that uh, led you to where you are today? Sure. So yeah, my name is Simon Drew. Uh, you've, you've, you've taken the audience through many of the things that uh, many people know about me. So maybe just a little bit about how I kind of got onto the track where now it's even the case that people kind of know me for the fact that I've been in the Stoic community globally. It really started back on my 20th birthday. 
and I don't want to bore you with a very long story, but the the, the gist of this story is that uh, I went to university. I was studying music, uh, so I'm also a, a jazz trumpeter and singer. Uh, but uh, apart from that, I play piano as well, and the didgeridoo, and whole bunch of things. And um, I consider myself more of an experimental artist now when it comes to music. But I was studying music at the Queensland Conservatorium. I went on my birthday and my best friend Lachlan said to me, hey, listen, there's this great speaker. He's coming to town. He's going to be at town hall. We should go and see him. And I thought, okay, interesting. Yeah, I'll I'll go for that. You know, I'm always up for, for a new thing. And we go there and it's this guy called Eric Thomas. Now he, uh, he calls himself the hip hop preacher. And so you can imagine this guy, this just bulky African-American, like a motivational speech speaker, you know, just like screaming at us for like, <laughs> like an hour, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, such an incredible guy, such an incredible guy, um, beautiful messages. But the big thing that I took away from that day, he said, to your point, even information changes situations. And I have to say that before that day, I had read maybe one or two books all the way through in my entire life. And the rest of it was just like schoolwork, you know, read this, read that. Okay, cool. You know, and I did well, I was a good student, but nonetheless, I was just, I wasn't actively pursuing wisdom, better information, understanding. And when he said information changes situations, it just, it turns something on in me. It's funny how we don't really get to choose which words and sentences catch us in a moment, but that caught me. And over the next year of my life, I ended up reading 80 books, you know, just going nuts, you know, read just, I was obsessed. Was, oh, I want to fill my mind with information. And you know, it was more of the motivational stuff. So I got into the personal development stuff. And so it was a lot of it might've been the kind of, there are a few books that I, I wouldn't pick up again because of shallow, you know, motivational kind of junk food. But there was a lot there that really taught me and really got me on fire, you know, really got me burning. And so I started, you know, listening to great podcasts. I was just, I like so many of the uh, people who grew up uh, at the same time as me, we were kind of just coming in when like podcasts were big, you know, so Tim Ferriss was huge, you know, Entrepreneur on Fire, you know, one of the early podcasts as well. All these things that, wow, podcasting, information, you know, speed, it's, it's amazing, you know, that that we can get our hands on these great conversations. So I just got obsessed. And eventually through Tim Ferriss's podcast, I found my way to Seneca. Now, Seneca is, uh, for those who are listening, who understand a lot about Stoicism, you know, they'll know that Seneca is one of the, you might say the three really big Stoics that we currently talk about. You've got Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, and Epictetus. There's plenty more uh, Stoics that we could talk about, but those are the ones whose writings have really stayed with us. And so I I started reading Seneca and I was like, wow, I, I picked it up just at the right time because I just read all this personal development stuff. And then I realized, wow, Seneca is saying all of this stuff and more and more beautifully, except he said it like 2000 years ago, right? So this isn't new stuff. This is all, this is ancient wisdom. Heck, wisdom, what is wisdom, (laughs) right? Like I was even learning about that. Wow, wisdom, what is this this principle? And so uh, really, I just got very interested in the Stoics. And I thought, you know what? One of the best ways to learn is to teach. And I started a podcast. 
And the podcast was, as you mentioned, uh, the the practical stoic. I promise I'm getting to the end of this long ramble. But I appreciate that. So uh, the practical stoic, I came in at just the right time. You know, I, I, I couldn't really find a stoic podcast out there that that really captured me. So I started, you know, sharing little lessons. You know, Seneca says this. Okay, well, Marcus Rallis talks about this. And what can we take away from that? And, you know, I'm sure that you've listened to a few. And it started to pick up traction and I started to see, oh, people are actually listening to, oh, people are actually learning from this. Wow, wow, more responsibility on me. Okay, you know, it's kind of like you dive into something not really knowing what it's going to require of you. And so really a lot of the past few years have been the story of me trying to keep up with the expectations that I set for myself, but also that other people set for me when they're listening to my podcast, they're trying to learn as well. And I started to think, wow, I need to take this a lot more seriously. And I guess to skip over a few years, you know, you come to 2020 and I I, I began writing poetry and um there's there's a whole bunch look there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happened around then but ultimately i ended up changing the podcast from the practical stoic to the walled garden and there's a bunch of symbolism in the walled garden that we can talk about perhaps but ultimately what the walled garden represents is the new direction which which i'm going in which is i don't necessarily see myself as the quote unquote stoic that many people see me as. I'm a seeker. Uh I, I I'm I, I'm trying to heal my own wounds and uh and to help others where I can along the way. Uh, but the World Garden turned into the World Garden Philosophical Society. And so now with that, uh, I'm bringing together philosophers from all around the world and artists and just beautiful people and seekers coming together really to get to the bottom of some of the core issues that we're dealing with in our our current society. And all of this began with just kind of clicking record and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to explore stoicism. (laughs) And so the stoic global community has been very good to me in terms of giving me the opportunity to meet incredible people all around the world who are genuinely aiming up, genuinely seeking after wisdom, genuinely want the best for themselves, for their families, for their communities, for the world. And that is invaluable for a young person. And that's exactly why, if I can do a kind of 360 here, it's exactly why I said to you at the start, I'm so excited for you because uh, I can see that you're starting this podcast and you're going to have that same opportunity to network with incredible people who will always encourage you and make you, you know, live up to your own expectations of yourself that you're setting by going on this adventure for yourself. So with all that said, I'm going to, I'm going to drop it there. <laughs> Apart from just say, uh, now I'm living here in California with my, my, uh, my wife, Jen, and uh, and I'm managing a small music studio while I'm also managing uh, the World Garden Philosophical Society. And life is very chaotic and busy and lots of responsibility, but I'm I'm trying to bear that responsibility as best as I can. So there we go. <laughs> You're doing a very good job at um, bearing that responsibility. Um, you know, everything that you're putting out there on the internet just seems so wholesome and really aligns with what you've um, kind of just said. So um, yeah, no, it's, it's really, really good. And um, so tell us a bit more about stoicism. So for those who are unfamiliar with it, um, 
You've just mentioned the famous um, Stoics, so Marcus Aurelius, um, Seneca, Epictetus. Um, did you want to maybe talk us through maybe a little bit about each one? Um, why were they um, so famous or so influential? Um, and what are some of the key concepts from each of them? So people who are listening who have never heard about this may become quite interested and give them the opportunity to dive further in. Sure, yeah. Okay, so... Um I hope you've scheduled for about six hours. So yeah, definitely. As I mentioned, there's there's those three major Stoics that everybody talks about today. We've got Epictetus, Seneca, and Marcus Aurelius. Epictetus was born, well, he lived most of his life as a slave, actually. And then he was freed by uh, by his master and went on to live a life where he would have conversations, philosophical conversations, with people who would come to see him. And so what we find in his writings is actually not his writing, but it's one of his students actually collecting all of the, uh, you know, beautiful speeches that he gave and the, and the conversations that he had and that dialogue, you know, really such a, there's such a beautiful dialogue in his writings. And so you will find uh, his discourses and also the Enchiridion, the handbook. Uh, the handbook is a more compressed version of his teachings. So very interesting character. Then we have Seneca. Now, Seneca is equally fascinating. It's funny that the, the three horsemen, you might say, of Stoicism, they all have very interesting and, and, and quite uh, uh, different experiences in life. Because Seneca was not born a slave. He was highly educated, came from a, a, a very well-to-do family in Rome. And Seneca is a very complex character. You read Epictetus and you read about Epictetus and it's pretty clear to see, you know, this guy lived his principles. He was, you know, he was a real philosopher. Seneca, there's a lot of debate because uh, he was a person who, he was an orator, he was a playwright. You know, he also happened to be the advisor to the emperor Nero, who was widely known as one of the most violent emperors of all time uh, in, in Rome. And so uh, a lot of people struggle with a lot of the complexity of Seneca's life. But what I see in Seneca is a man who, who really wanted to do the work of philosophy right up to his dying day. And the reason why he actually was uh, advisor to Emperor Nero, he was actually exiled to an island there's a whole bunch of political scandal that kind of led to there, which we won't go into now, but, but nonetheless, he was exiled to this island. He actually got called back by Nero's mother, basically saying, we'll give you your freedom back. You're going to now be a mentor to my, uh, to my son who will be the emperor. And so I don't imagine Seneca would have had much of a choice to say, well, no, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> that would have basically been a death wish, but in his writings, Seneca has uh, about 126, I believe, uh, epistles that he wrote. He also wrote a whole bunch of letters uh, called uh, Natural Questions, and there's a bunch of plays that he wrote. But most people know his 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 epistles, and they are just stunning writings. Just you can really get close to Seneca, and he mentors you through that, those writings. That's where I'll pause with Seneca. And then you go to Marcus Aurelius. And Mark, uh, Marcus was an emperor of Rome. And so, uh, man, another completely different experience where he was a philosopher by heart. Many people don't think that he really wanted to be emperor, but nonetheless, 
he was heir to the throne. That's the life that was given to him. And so we find his meditations and again, completely different style of writing because these were never meant to be released. These are beautiful collections of his own meditations to himself where he's just writing and doing the very important work of diving into the soul and exploring, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be an honorable human? How can I heal myself? You know, how can I uh, be more connected with this, this great cosmos of which I am a part. And so very, very uh, delicate writings and beautiful, you know, he writes things like the body is a river, the soul, a dream and mist. And you read something like that and you think, what the hell does he mean? (laughs) You know, like he begs those questions of us. And so all of these these beautiful writers and thinkers have a unique taste to them. And and I just love them all and 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 hope that people will find the ones that they gravitate to. But in terms of you you ask me, okay, what is stoicism? There's too much to discuss. And I know a lot of people um think that it can be described in one answer, but I'll describe it like this. At the moment, we have kind of, I would say, two brands of Stoicism. There's a lot of people who hold to a a more reduced version of Stoicism, I would say. Still helpful, still useful, still, still really awesome for a lot of people. It's going to give them some great ideas, great tips for living a, a good life. But it is a reduced version of Stoicism. And I'll explain why I say that in a moment, but I would say it leans toward the personal development side of things. Act honorably. You know, it gives you a framework for how you can be an honorable citizen in the world today, how you can change the way that you view your life and the world and how you relate to the world and and just give you practical tips for how you can be a more effective, you know, beautiful human being in this world. Now, the other side of Stoicism today, I would say, leans way more towards the traditional version of Stoicism. And that's the people who still hold that what the Stoics talked about in relation to God is still very much relevant and important and true and useful. I started out in the practical side of things. I started out in the, this is a personal development tool for me. I started out in the life hacks sort of thing. And then as I got deeper and deeper into Stoicism, as I as I explored other philosophies, as I explored myself and poetry and with my unique path, I came to see, oh gosh, there's so much more to this philosophy. And the most beautiful way that I can share what Stoicism does for me and other people is that it can show you how we really are pieces in a much larger cosmos. Of course, we can all agree with that. But the one thing that people might get challenged on is if you follow the Stoic precepts, and I'm not a dogmatist, I don't tell anybody like, you have to believe this in order to think this, and you you can think what you want. But if you follow the Stoic precepts, you will come to see that there is an order to this cosmos. There is a reason, capital R, you know, there is a reason, there is a cause and effect to everything that happens. And we are a part, a tiny little part in a massive web of order within this cosmos on every single level from the largest to the smallest. And once you start to see that, everything can become 
quite profound <laughs> because you see that, wow, I do have a place in this cosmos. I do have a role to play. I do. There is a purpose to my life. There is a meaning to the things that happen to me in my life. And if I will show up in the right way with clear eyes, ready to see, I will gain clarity for my direction in life. And so there's a lot more to it. There's one more thing that I will just quickly mention is I would say that the ultimate goal for the Stoic is to live a life in agreement with nature. That's the, you might say, the dogma of of Stoicism. Dogma might not be the right word. We'll stick with it. But nonetheless, uh, that that is the idea that we want to live a life in agreement with nature. And there's two ways you can think about that. There is your individual nature. We all have an individual nature. We all have individual interests, uh, things that propel us forward, pull us forward, individual callings, you know, everybody's different. Now, if you believe that there's a place for everybody, as Sharon LaBelle, uh, one of my close friends and colleagues in the World Garden, she said, everybody, we, we need to learn how to sit in our seat in the theater, theater of life. That's what she means, you know, following your individual nature. There's a place for you here. But then there's also, you know, the nature of the whole, as in we want to live in agreement with natural law, the nature of reality. And so it's in that wrestling, I think, that real personal growth can can be found when we are trying to discern, you know, what is my nature? Who am I? Uh, what am I all about? What am I interested in? What, what am I being called to do in my life right now? And, and then also, how do I relate to the people in my life, to the various roles that I play in, 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 in our society, and all the way up to how do I relate to God? How do I relate to this vast cosmos? What is my purpose here? And how can I live more closely in relation to natural law, the fundamentals of which I am always wrestling with. I hope I was clear there, but that's that's where I'll probably leave it. That's that's my long but brief summary of uh, of what Stoicism is to me, at least. Yeah, beautiful. And out of curiosity, what would your definition of God be, based on your current? It's <sighs> a tough one. You know, we always want to put a definition on God, right? And I get that because I always want to do that too. You know, God is this, God is that, you know, God kind of just is, (laughs) right? And we are always trying to figure that out constantly. But if if I was to be as audacious as to um, tell God what God is, (laughs) it would be the totality, the oneness, the one and the wholeness of which we as tiny little fragmented parts are part of, you know. I really do, I had a wonderful conversation with with William O. Stevens, not O. Stevens, O. middle name, O. Stevens, but he's a professor who spent a lot of time exploring the Stoic philosophy and and it was a profound conversation. People can people can hear it on the podcast if they, they find the World Garden podcast. It was a recent episode, but we talked about this idea that to the Stoics, the world really is, there is a totality, there is a wholeness, and then there is the fragmentation. And we are fragmented parts. And, you know, look at us, look, look at what humans do. We break things into pieces. You know, we, we always want everything to have a box. We always want to put something over here and something over here. We want to split this, split that. Everything in this cosmos is fragmented, yes, but I believe that God is the totality that encompasses all of those micro pieces, perhaps in the same way that our body breaks down into all of these different pieces and bones and ligaments and organs and 
tissue and all of this stuff. But there is a wholeness to our body. There is the body. It's the definition of it. It's, it's the thing that encompasses all of those little pieces, you know. And if you see it like that, then you can start to see that, wow, in this cosmos even, this it goes right up to the whole. And I guess one thing that really I learned as I wrote The Poet and the Sage, which was my first real kind of poetic experience in my first published book, one of the things that came out in one of the poems, and it's funny because when I write poetry, I'll often not know what all of the lessons to be learned in that poem are until I finish it. You know, it's like, and, and sometimes I'll write all of these lines, all of these lines, and then the last line is what brings it all together. And you're just like, oh my gosh. But one of the things that I really learned was if we break our bodies down into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces, there has to be a point where the thing that you've broken it down to, the information that makes up my body is so small that there is really no difference between inside my body and outside my body, if that makes any sense at all. Even just thinking about, you know, we for so long in my life, I, th- I thought like many people perhaps think, oh, you know, the atom, that's the smallest thing that there is. You know, now we know that there are quarks. Oh, the quark, that's the smallest thing there is. No, that's the smallest thing that scientists have found. Now, the original term atom was a Greek term, and it didn't mean the thing that we think of as an atom today. It meant the smallest substance of, that makes everything up. It has to be that that essence. There has to be that that essence that everything is formed by. And it's funny because the Stoics were materialists. They thought right down to the very bottom, it was a, a, it was matter, a material, right? And right up to the very the very largest, right? And that kind of makes sense if you realize that there has there has to just be that that fine 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 substance that makes up everything, which means that there is no inner and outer when it comes to your body, but there is. And so that's what I mean when I say the wholeness. Meaning you can kind of sift into the wholeness from time to time and be like, oh, I remember that I am a part of this much larger totality uh, and that is within me and I'm I'm within it. But then nonetheless, there is the fragmented, okay, well, I do have a body. I do experience mortality. I do experience this, this fragmented life. That's my little ramble on God. <laughs> But please take it with a grain of salt because I'm 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 still I'm always trying to explore that more and uh, yeah I'm, I'm not the best theologian uh, nor mystic so one of the beautiful I suppose things with stoicism that I keep reminding myself quite often was that uh, memento mori and how we're all our time here is limited and each conversation then, you know, like the one I'm having with you is um, so special because that time is going to pass and and I'll never get it back. But with your understanding, how would you say, you know, obviously we can all just speculate when your time is up, is your, and for your understanding, do you think that your time really is up? Do you think that you would then, you ceases to exist or do you become part of, like join the greater whole that you've never really left, but your conscious mind that separates you or provides that sense of separation is the only thing that dissolves. Mm. I have no idea. And I don't even know if I believe my own philosophy because I mean, my own philosophy, I don't, you know, I borrow from a whole bunch of other people, but I've done most of my work on this particular subject in my poetry. And my poetry is strange because 
when I'm writing poetry, I'm not trying to get a message across. I'm not trying to teach something or bring a principle in here and you should do this. No, I'm just, I'm trying to let go and allow the, you might say the spirit to flow through me, through the pen onto the page. And what comes out and the reason I know I am a poet is because what comes out is poetry, not propaganda you know uh what comes out is is strange kind of mystic writings that explore this very subject of you know really what are we where are we headed you know what yeah what is god but more in a conversational style but nonetheless in order to actually give you an answer to your question my suspicion is that of many religious traditions uh, and many mystics throughout the ages, which is that we are spiritual entities having an embodied experience. And it's funny because like, oh man, I've changed over the past few years. And I can't exactly give you a whole bunch of well-reasoned arguments for why I believe that other than, you know, when I started writing poetry, it just really, uh, and even, you know, now when I'm doing more creative music as opposed to playing stuff that everybody has played, you know, now I'm creating my own stuff and that creative process, the the artistic process really um, pushes me towards this kind of belief that there is, there is this, man, it's, it's tough to say. Here's how I'll say it. One of, one of the great stoic tenets is this idea that there is a spark of divinity within each of us. We are each connected to God in that way. We, there's a piece of God within each of us. You might think of it like that. And when I started writing poetry and being more creative with my music, things like that, just the stuff that came out, I started thinking, oh my gosh, I couldn't have written that if I had have tried. I couldn't have sat down and thought, I want to write this and then wrote it, it wouldn't have been nearly as, as beautiful or profound or, but here they were just these little divine seeds being planted in my soul and coming out on, on the page. And it just showed me that there's, there's something else at play here. Yes. So unbelievably complicated. And I, I am so tired of the extremely reductionist view of what human beings are. We are, so profound, so deep. There is so much to us that we do not explore. And I never would have thought that what I would spend a lot of my time and life doing is figuring out more ways to maybe show people uh, that we really are divine, each of us, and, and there is so much more to us. And so to me, when, yeah, when you ask about that, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking back to a conversation I had with another mystic uh, recently. And he said that, he, you know, yeah, spiritual beings having an embodied experience. I was like, that's it. <laughs> I think that's the thing <laughs> I've been trying to figure out. But uh, that's, that's probably where I'll leave it because I, you know, like I said at the start of this answer, I mean, it's really hard to know whether or not you actually believe the things that you, you suppose might be true, especially when it's so grandiose as that. I don't know. What about you? What do you think? Well, it's an interesting one because um, I personally love to paint and draw and the things that I create 
I did one recently actually of uh, Jesus, but I'm not Christian or, but I found his teachings or, or what, if you get down to, you know, what sort of things he tries to say, it's really beautiful. But yet when I understand the history of Christianity or the history of what religion had done, I can understand the um, contrast, but when I sit in in nature um, and I paint, it's it's very beautiful. And like you're saying, you know, if I had to analytically think, well, how could I paint this? I know the skills, but when I sit down and do it, it turns out far better than I could have ever expected. So, yes, and in terms of being in a, a spirit, being a human body, it's a it is a tough one because I meditate quite a lot and. I just focus on really calming my mind and um, not just feeling everything around me. And I find that quite beautiful. Um, it really stills my myself and uh, it improves my interactions with other people because I'm not as anxious and so on. But, you know, I, I've never really had an out-of-body experience, so to speak. So I'm still trying to decipher what is truth. But even that in and of itself, what is truth? Truth is so different to so many people. So <laughs> I'm just trying to cultivate yeah. tools that tend to enhance my way of being and seeing where that takes me and things that I find degrade my sense of self or how I interact with other people and how I interact with myself. I tend to not incorporate that into my life. Um, and I think from that basis, mm -hmm. because when you explore the spiritual space, which I have done in the past and some of my older podcasts were a lot around that, there's so many when you go into the information age, there's just so much information out there, so much. And so I think it definitely does come down to what works for you and what feels great for you in my small years of, <laughs> of wisdom there. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it is a tough one. It's it's a really tough one. I mean, I think this idea, you know, of whatever works for you, I think that that is a, a beautiful idea. But there also, I think that there's another side to it, which is, I do hold that there, there is a fundamental natural law which will punch back if we touch it in the wrong way. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's this verse in Isaiah, very interesting. It just hit me one day. This verse, it's something like, God, your judgments fall upon the earth and the people of the world learn righteousness. And it's like, wow, what the, what on earth does that mean? You know, <laughs> if you think about it, you know that if you walk out onto the and out onto a busy highway, the chances that you're going to get hit by a car pretty high, and that's proof that it's kind of not well, whatever, whatever works for you, because that doesn't work for anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that's one thing that we know that, that doesn't work for anybody. But I think that the essence of, and correct me if you're wrong, I think that perhaps the essence of what you're saying is allow people to go on their own adventures. Don't go out there spruiking like, this is the only way for you, you know, like, or follow this dogma or follow that dogma. Yeah, And I think people are tired of that. You know, one of the contributors in the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, uh, such a long name, I'm just going to say the Walled Garden. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the contributors, Rocco, he, you know, he says, uh, we've moved beyond the age of commandments, you know, like people are not interested in living their lives based on these 12 laws or these, you know, like they want to know why, why should I follow this path? 
you know, uh, give me the reason, give me the cause and effect, tell me why this is appropriate. And I think that that's where a lot of the resistance comes today, even for the more traditional paths, which still offer so much beauty and, and wisdom and, and truth for that matter. But I do, I do believe that there is this, this kind of natural law, like that verse in Isaiah, you know, when we go in one direction, we're going to learn whether that was the right or wrong path. And it's, it's, it's not necessarily going to, well, the reason we'll learn is because life is going to hit back when we act out of alignment with natural law, with the the fundamental essence of reality. Uh, And to the, I believe that to the extent that we are out of alignment with natural law, with the fundamentals of reality, we are less healthy, more ailed in our souls. You know, we are uh, more stressed, more anxious, you know, more fearful. We are more sick the more we are out of alignment with those laws. And so I think really the question is like, how can we get into a state of mind, into a an experience in life where what we are constantly doing is sharpening our ability to receive better instruction, to receive better wisdom. Whatever you can do to be in that state more often you're going to be constantly learning, constantly receiving better wisdom, constantly seeing lessons that if you would learn this lesson, you would be more free. You would be more able to, to withstand the inevitable trials of life. So I don't know. That's, so that's a long ramble, but uh, that's, you know, I, I, I really, I see what you're trying to say and I, and I agree, but <laughs> you know, then there's the, well, life does hit back. Do you know what I mean? And, 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 and did I misinterpret what you're saying? Or? No, 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 definitely. No, I think you, you've done a really good job of articulating that. And I do do think that we probably, a large portion, once again, you can't say everyone, a large amount of people don't want to just follow a specific set of rules. As some people may find comfort in having been told what to do and will easily stay within those boundaries. But a large portion are spreading. And I think that having YouTube and social media platforms or or just the internet that everybody now pretty much uses, um, it just opens your awareness up to so many different variations in life and how so many people are living so differently. And what does that look like? You know, and a, a great interesting thought is like you are the main character within your own story, but you're not the main character within everybody else's. And so that's why I think I came back to like what works for you in the sense that this is, and I'm just like not being causing pain to another person or, and I think those are some of the virtues that I'd like to talk about within stoicism that provide that sense of framework of what sort of virtues could you try and live by? And then from that space, you're branching out, but you've kind of got, okay, like I really shouldn't go doing that or applying this. And I think what I would like to discuss with you with the World Garden is actually applying those things. So it's one thing to listen or hear information and maybe just regurgitate it out. And there's a, a completely different way of embodying that and saying, okay, well, let me grab this piece of really good information and let me apply it within my own life and see, okay, well, how does that look like? What does that look like? And I think that stoicism from, you know, I've read Marcus Aurelius's meditations and a little bit of Seneca. And I found there's some really great wisdom in there that you can actually 
take, you can bite it down into smaller chunks and you can say, okay, well, you know, how, how can this work for me and what does this look like? Because in an information age where there's an abundance of information, you can sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed or lost in not knowing which direction to really go in. And spirituality is beautiful and there's a lot of really beautiful wisdom in there, but I've seen people who don't have their feet firmly planted in the ground and can sometimes fly away. And there's nothing wrong with that. And once again, it's their life and how they choose to live it. But I think for myself, if you can have your feet firmly placed in the ground, and I think stoicism is quite a grounding practice or grounding wisdom, and then you could branch out into creativity, which a lot of the time is exploring the unknown and what does that look like? I don't know. That's What, what, what would you think about that? No, I think that's beautiful. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And very, it, it does, you know, relate to even the walled garden, you know. Well, I'll, let's talk about I'll, that. Tell me, tell well, me about the well, walled yeah, garden. I, I, no, no, I want to bring this in because it relates to what you're saying there. You know, there's this great line from Alan Watts, one of my favorite teachers. Have you spent much time listening to Alan Watts? Yeah. How good is Alan Watts? Yeah, so good. Yep. But one of the one of the things that he talks about is the fact that he believed that, you know, you could divide the world or the people in the world into kind of two kind of vague camps. You've got the prickles and the goo. You know, the prickles are the prickly kind of people. They're like the mathematicians, the scientists, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the accountants, you know, what they want to see is the hard numbers. Give me the numbers and give me the results. Let me see this, you know, okay. It, they might be the theologians who like to, um, you know, stick to a very specific strict dogma. You know, this is the path. And then you've got on the other side the goos, the gooey people. Now, the prickles, life to them seems prickly, but to the gooey people, life is very gooey to them. It's it's the mystics, the artists, the poets, you know, the the, the visionaries, the, the people who, to your point, maybe they're heading off into the clouds, you know, like, <laughs> and so what Alan Watts said is that it's not really the case that life is gooey or life is prickly. Life is prickly goo and gooey prickles. Right? <laughs> and so these two people need to come together. And that was the major focus for me. And it, and it continues to be uh, for all of us in how we select the right kind of people to come in as contributors in the world garden and as board members and all this. Sort of thing. We need the prickles and we need the goo. And so we have people in the organization who are very, very firmly feet on the ground, show me the numbers kind of prickly people. And I adore them because they are exactly who I need <laughs> to pull my feet back down to the ground when I go sailing up into the clouds. And, you know, if anybody out there is a student of, of mysticism or spirituality, uh, the conversion experiences, things like this, they'll know that it's it's easy for a person who has had a profound experience to go out there and have this ego inflation of, oh my gosh, oh, I'm going to take on the world, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, I've just realized this, oh, let me go, you know. And that was certainly an element of starting the world garden for me. You know, it was an element, it was there. And the people who I work with will tell you that because there have been moments where there's, hang on, we need to slow, well, slow it down, Simon, you know, let, let's put our feet on the ground. And, and so I think that we all need people like that. We all need in our lives to surround ourselves with people who will be, will perfectly complement 
who we are and where we're going as well. And we can be that for other people as well. You know, because as much as the prickles help out the goo, the prickles really need the goo. (laughs) The prickles really need the people to come along and say, hey, we can do this. Like, let's go. Let's try and take on the world. Like, let's try and do like a a massive project. Let's really try and, uh, or, or, wow, don't you see this? Don't you see the vastness here? Or don't you see the beauty in this, you know? And and so I think that that is a, a very important point that you're making is that we need our feet on the ground. Yes, but we also need some time in the clouds. And it's in that wrestling between those two worlds where the real magic happens. And I think that you're right. Stoicism does give you that beautiful, practical pathway to to find a real firm foundation. You know, there's, have you heard of Heraclitus before? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So you might know that he has this idea of reality is really like we're, we're in a river and the river is constantly changing. It's never the same river. And the reason is because it's not the same water, you know, here it goes. It's a completely different river all the time. And it's always expanding or it's changing direction or, you know, there's always something happens, always a different river. And that's what life is like as well. But what great philosophies and religious traditions can do for us, like Stoicism, is they can give us a firm foundation upon which we can stand where despite the reality that we are in, which is that everything is constantly changing, everything is in flux, we have absolutely no certainty of what the next moment will bring. Despite that, I know that there are things that if I can bring these ideas, these principles together in my soul, in my mind, and if I can live by these principles, I will have a firm foundation to stand upon. And so that, again, that's the that's the transcendent, the the flux you know, and, and that is also the having a firm foundation. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's a beautiful point. And, and thanks for letting me uh, uh, pick up on that. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I'd like to think of it as the tree of life in a way, because as the roots mm. are firmly planted within the ground and get the nutrients, so too do the leaves branch out. And usually with a lot of trees, it's like the roots almost match up very similarly to the tops. And so I think when you have that equal balance, like you're saying, it can really, beautiful things can be created. And that's where collaboration can also come in is, is if one person is quite extreme on the on the tree side, on the uh, leaves and wants to really explore what they can and other people have a solid foundation. If they work together, I'm sure there'd be some pretty amazing things that are produced from that. Uh, so did you want to tell us maybe a little bit about the wall garden? You mentioned why you started it, but so there's two people involved, Sharon and Kai. Uh, so what is it for for listeners? Sure. So there's there's a lot more people involved now. So we we started with uh, you know so Sharon and Kai were really the the co-founders with me in the early days, and then we we brought on Scott Ballantyne, who is also now our CFO and board president, um, doing a wonderful job there. Everything that he's doing, and um, and so but when it comes to the philosophers, the contributors in the World Garden, I started with Sharon and Kai. And the reason is I got to know both of them over my time in the podcasting space and the stoicism space. And I deemed them to be two of the most beautiful, honorable individuals who I'd ever known. Uh, Sharon 
is really one of the major reasons why I was able to discover that I'm a poet because I, I took this kind of mystical dream that I had kind of scribed down to her and said, what the hell do you think this means? <laughs> and, you know, if people read The Poet and the Sage, they will find that that same dream in there because she said, man, you just got to keep on writing. And, and out of that dream spawned The Poet and the Sage and then the rest of stuff that I've wrote over the past few years. Now, Kai, so Sharon was my kind of creative mentor, philosophical mentor. She's a phenomenal individual. Now, Kai, on the other hand, he's the prickle. Sharon is the the goo. <laughs> Sharon is the artist, the, you know, uh, the, 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 the meaning maker, you know, obsessed with beauty, obsessed with music and, and Kai, you know, he's the academic, you know, he's, he's an academic, he's a philosopher, he's a professor, you know, he's an author and, and he really, you know, has a firm, firm grasp of the stoic philosophy and is much more dogmatic when it comes to his adherence to the philosophy than I am. And, when I was thinking about who I wanted as the first two people in the world garden, I thought, man, Sharon and Kai have such complementary worldviews, such complementary styles of teaching. And if I could just be around them more often, man, we would really create something beautiful here. And as we've gone through, you know, we've, we've brought on more philosophers. We have just phenomenal people on board at the moment, uh, doing excellent work, have Judith Stove, uh, uh, just a, 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 a linguist, a classicist. She wouldn't like me calling her those terms because she's not technically that. She doesn't have the degrees, but her understanding of classical Latin and Greek is just second to none. It's amazing. So we're doing this soul searching with Seneca series where, you know, we can get her opinion on, on the Latin there. You know, we've got Rocco Jarman, this, this uh, mystical poet from, uh, from Perth who, I just, I went on his podcast and we started talking and we were just like, oh my gosh, we're like, you're writing the same kind of poetry as me. We just got obsessed with each other. We're just, yeah, we've got to work together. You know, David Alexander, a psychotherapist from uh, from New Mexico here in uh, here in America. Uh, you know, we've we've got Brandon Tumblin, podcaster with the strong stoic, you know, another, I would say that Brandon leans toward the prickly side of things, although he's also an artist, beautiful person, you know, so we, Juan Perez, you know, anyway, like Juan Perez, he's a, he's a, actually a corporate coach down in, in Mexico, but he's using stoic principles to go into companies and say, we can do things better and we can use these ancient principles to do this. All of these individuals, and and I know that there are more, but I'm not going to keep on going through, but nonetheless, all of these individuals just so beautifully complement everything that we're trying to do in the World Garden. And that's what I really think about when I, when I put together teams like this, is I'm thinking, how can we have complementary skills just in the same way that each of us unique individual humans, we have a role to play in our societies and our cultures, and our communities, and humans have a role to play in the cosmos, you know, if you hold that. On the smaller level in teams, we need to find complementary team members. And I think that we've we've managed to do that so far in the World Garden. Yeah, I hope so. Beautiful, beautiful. No, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to exploring it a lot more. On a slightly different um with stoicism, um, you know, there's four main 
areas understand or virtues with courage, temperance, justice and wisdom. Did you want to maybe touch on each of them a little bit and how you feel that you're incorporating those uh, within your life and and how people who are listening may potentially incorporate those into theirs as uh, solid foundations essentially to help branch out and, and create? Sure. Yeah, man, that's a tough one. You throw me under the bus. I'm going to quote Jim Rohn here. One of my favorite quotes, he said, uh, he said, listen to what I say, but don't watch too close. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> but uh, one of the first things that I say, I want to mention this before I dive into the, the virtues. One of the first things that I do tell any one of the students who I mentor, I, I do philosophical mentoring. And so I work with individuals to really make progress on their spiritual path or their philosophical path. One of the first things I tell them is actually a quote from Seneca where he says, do not consider me as, uh, you know, this expert. I'm paraphrasing here. Don't consider me as this expert over here. Like I'm perfect and I'm telling you, you should be like this. No, I am a fellow sick person in the same hospital as you lying in the bed next to you. And I'm talking to you about the remedies that are helping me. Right. And maybe they'll help you. Right. So yeah, it's interesting because we have this idea of the, the cardinal virtues, right. But nonetheless, there's also, it's funny because even the virtues can become fragmented, but then there's the other side of Stoicism, which says that virtue capital V is the only true good, right? And that idea encompasses all virtues. It's it's like it comes back to this idea of doing the right thing at the right time in the right place with the right motivations, right? It's kind of like everything. It's like that moment where everything lines up. You can think of it as a as a sports analogy, even for those uh, who maybe maybe watch um, team sports. It's a great way to see virtue because uh, even an orchestra, we can think of it in both of these things: orchestras and sports teams. There's something that's happening there. There's a common purpose, you know, and there's often moments where you see whether it's in an orchestra or the sports team where everybody is working together in exactly the right way. And there's like a flow state that happens there. If it's music, it's just this unbelievable music that comes out of all of these individuals playing. And that's that's kind of like what I was saying earlier with the whole. You might think of that as the music that comes out of the fragmented, each individual doing their part. It's the same in a sports team. And you can see that as virtue. It's all of these pieces coming together in alignment straight up, you know, um, it's, it's, it's beautiful, but yeah, going to these, uh, cardinal virtues more to the specific point, you know, so somebody like Marcus Aurelius, he would say that these four virtues, if, if you can have these, what would be better, you know, what would be better really courage, you know, courage. It's interesting to think about courage. I think that a great way of looking at courage is choosing to act out of love over fear. I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. And that's actually something that I learned from Rocco. But ultimately, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the moment when we overcome that fear and choose to do it anyway. I should say as well, you know, uh, no, that's actually another point. We'll leave that aside. Uh, 
something like temperance, you know, well, there's always going to be times in life where you need to recognize maybe I'm going a little bit too far. Temperance and everything. The Stoics were all about the middle way, you know, um, and in that way they were very similar to a lot of Eastern traditions as well. But temperance is always about, you know, what is the proper portion here? The owner of this music school, Charles, phenomenal individual, very wise. He was a preacher and a philosopher, all sorts of things. Beautiful musician. Uh, I had these these chocolates from um, <laughs> from Disneyland the other day, and I gave him one. Oh, he, oh, he really enjoyed it. He loved it. Oh, he said, oh, it's great. Yes, it's so tasty. I said, Charles, do you want another one? He said, oh, no. To have a second would be to sin. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's temperance in action. He understands that you enjoy something and that's enough. You don't need to go too far. That's probably the one I'm least good at. And then, uh, so we have temperance, we have courage, and then we have justice. Now, justice is all about how you relate to other individuals and what is appropriate, what is right. It's most often uh, seen in how we relate to others. And so, you know, just thinking about what is the just action in this situation in relation to this person, you know, what would be appropriate for me to do? You know, so thinking about justices, man, it's tough because we have, we have such a, we have such a skewed or different view of justice today. So many people think that justice begins and ends in you know, well, the government needs to make this law or the government needs to do this or, you know, the company needs to do this or the company, you know, to the Stoics, it always comes back to you individually, the, the, the depths of your soul. What is the choice that you are making in this moment? That's what makes something just or not. And so really just thinking about, you know, what, meditating on what is appropriate in relation to others. Uh, and then when it comes to wisdom, that's a tough one, you know, because I see wisdom in a whole different class. And maybe that's my, my lack of understanding perhaps. But it's funny, to the Stoics, wisdom was an understanding of things human and divine. Wisdom, you could see it as the gateway between heavenly things and earthly things. Wisdom really is, it's the virtue that kind of has to bring everything together because wisdom is also kind of that middle way approach. It's to act wisely is kind of to take all information into account that you can take into account based on all the information I have in front of me, what would be the most appropriate choice to make right now? And I keep on coming back to this idea of what would be appropriate. And that's because, you know, so often we can get into the habit of like uh, ticking a box. Well, I was courageous today. I was just today. Well, I practiced justice here. And I think that's helpful for people. It's really helpful to have these little ideas. Okay, great. Justice, temperance, you know, wisdom, uh, courage, all these things, these virtues, we can, we can kind of track them in our lives. But if you break the Stoic philosophy down, the more traditional style of, of Stoicism, 
really the the path that they lay out there is forget everything except for what is appropriate right now. And that is a really difficult way to live for most people because it requires you to actually believe that context is like the most important thing (laughs) when making a decision, which means that you can no longer say that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right, this is right, that's bad, that's good. You have to throw all of that out in order that you can then say that might be right in this circumstance, that might be wrong in this circumstance, that might be right here, that might be bad here, that might be good here. But ultimately, you know, you have to throw all of that away in service of, okay, what do I know right now? What's the information that's available to me? Okay, based on that information, here is perhaps the most appropriate choice. That I think is more true to the Stoic philosophy than to say, uh, well, maybe I'm going out of term here, but then to say, you know, uh, there are these four virtues and these are the ones that we should practice. And I think that they are useful in certain situations. And I think that that's their purpose. You know, we, we can call upon them in order to uh, have inspiration in particular moments to say, well, yes, I would like to act like that. But ultimately it comes down to what's the most appropriate thing to do right now, you know, in this moment. And the appropriate thing for me to do right now is to shut up and let you ask another question or wrap this up. (laughs) No, they're they're really good because you have gone into explaining each individual one and how people can incorporate it not in a you should do this, but giving depth into what each one means so that, you know, if you're out there and um, let's say you have a chocolate, you know one chocolate will taste really nice, but chances are your second chocolate probably won't taste as nice. So I like the way that you articulated that, and I'm sure that a lot of people would get a lot out of it. So thank you. Also, just wanting to ask for people who have heard this podcast and um, are now interested in Stoicism, where would you say that they should begin with the um, original main Stoics? or um, And if so, you know, somebody starting out, where should they go? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a little biased because I came to Stoicism through Seneca. Uh, I would say return to those ancient texts. And the reason is uh, you're really getting the source there. Now, there's a lot of great modern resources that can compress all of those texts and say, okay, if you want to understand the actual, the, the path of Stoicism, but uh, if, if you want to understand them, there's some great books out there that can really help you to understand the whole picture of Stoicism that you might have difficulty finding if you're kind of picking through all of the ancient Stoics. But the reason I say go to the ancient Stoics is because what it's going to show you is, wow, this this is wisdom. This stuff's been around for thousands of years. It's going to give you a, a greater connection to your ancestors, to the history. You know, you'll start to see all of these profound ideas were being spoken about thousands of years ago. And there is such beauty. And this is another thing. I am obsessed with beauty. And to me, when I pick up a book, I want it to be beautiful. I want it to be written beautifully. Uh, you know, I don't want a, here's your 10 steps for stoicism. Here's here's the academic breakdown of stoicism like that it those are useful in their proper place 
But I want to be inspired and beauty inspires. And when you read Seneca, you will be inspired. I can guarantee it. And when you read Marcus Aurelius, you will definitely be inspired. And beauty is one of the things that does that. So that's why I would say go back to the ancients. Yeah. And um, being a podcast, uh, if you had one message to share with the world, what would it be? Ooh, if I had one message to share with the world, what would it be? It's tough. Uh, you know, the thing that's coming to my mind is just allow yourself to go on the adventure of seeking greater wisdom for your life. And on top of that, see what you can do to rid yourself of the cynicism which so many of us modern individuals, not by our choice or anything like that, not by our fault, but we've been infected with it, this cynicism around traditional paths of spirituality or religions or philosophy or, you know, oh, what have I got to learn from all of these, you know, dead white men that some people would say. It's like see what you can do to allow yourself to rid yourself of, of that, that cynicism just so that you can actually go on the adventure to explore these profound ideas, these which ultimately will end up with you exploring who you are and what you are and what you're here to do and, and what you're capable of, you know, because if you had have asked me a few years ago, you know, do you believe that we are divine individuals? Do you, do you even think about divinity? I, I would have, I have no idea, you know, and I, and I would have been like, ah, probably not, but I truly believe that, there is something truly divine about us and that there is so much more to us than we have any idea about. And I think that cynicism is something that just so clearly gets in the way of you being able to see any of that. So, um, yeah, I would encourage people to kind of retreat from the world that we're currently living in where everyone's pointing fingers and, you know, everybody's got a hot take on on the latest political issue and things like that. And I'm guilty of that as well. But go on that adventure and just see what you are as an individual, as a human being. Yeah. Mm, love it. Love it. Love it. Um, and I'd just like to finish by reading one of your poems, uh, The Mapleton Forestry, which um, I actually live in a, a small cabin in the forest. So when I read this, it really um, resonated with me. So I thought I would share it with everyone else. Tiring gum trees now are gathered around me while I lie within their mist. They seem to me like ancient elders, and we commune as such as they peer down into my world and I up to theirs. You have misspoken, young poet, they whisper to me now, for hath thou forgotten that we are masters of the heights as well as the depths, and that our roots are now cradle thee from below while our branches cover thee from above? Such is the wisdom of the trees." For they teach me to be firmly planted below while I reach into the eternal heavens above. The sacred music of the songbirds carry through the forest, and their tune enters my heart, much to my delight. What have I to learn from thee, O caretakers of the heavens? Tend to the garden, young poet, and sing the song of eternity, even as we do. Such is the wisdom of the songbirds, for they teach me to hear, and to sing, and to tend to the garden. Rain falls through the forest, creating a rhythm on the leaves. A nearby creek flows well, and I hear the water travelling around the rocks. The air is fragrant, and the forest is thick. 
small yellow wildflowers now blossom through the hills and new growth gathers through the forest floor. And I ask myself, does God not dwell in the scene? Is he not bound by nature to inhabit this place? Am I not standing in his midst? Such is the wisdom of the forest, for it brings us closer to God and it places us among his most sacred teachers. Very beautiful. Can I just say, I know you mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that you were planning on reading that poem. And I actually thought that it was a different poem that you were going to read. And I'm so grateful that you read that because it reminded me of that moment. And to us completely egotistical and self-centered poets, we really, we really like, I really love it when somebody gets something out of the work that I do. And I'm so grateful that you picked that one and you thought, this one sticks out. This is, this means something to me. So it's, actually reading I'm, I'm it, completely honored. And yeah. reading it, it actually ties into what we discussed within the podcast, ironically. 100%. So yeah. beautiful. And with that, thanks so much, guys, for listening and um, have a good day.